So if you do have your Bibles, open them up to Mark 14. And we're going to be looking at failure. And um, if you've never failed, you feel free to leave. We can, there's the door. <laughs> See you guys, you've never failed. That's fantastic. Praise the Lord. But I've failed before. Lots of times. And the wonderful thing is that, well, the wonderful thing about failure, there is something wonderful about failure. And we see it in this scripture, not that, but in this scripture in, in Mark 14, we see what Jesus does in the failure of, of human beings. Have a look at it. We'll keep it real simple. Basically, it rhymes, right? He knows, he chose, and he grows. All right? He knows. <laughs> Last week, we looked at the, um, the passage just beforehand where Mary breaks the bottle of, of the expensive perfume and pours it over Jesus' head as a, as a beautiful act of worship. And then after that, the disciples and Jesus find themselves sharing the last Passover meal and instituting the first communion meal. And um, John's gospel gives us some extra stories involved, like the washing of the feet, where Jesus, when he understands all that God's given him, he then takes a towel and wraps it around his waist and serves. Um, what else? The bit where Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. There's this whole bit about uh, chapter 17 in John where Jesus prays for his disciples and for others. And, and this all happens between Mark 14, verse 25 and Mark 14, verse 27. We miss a whole chunk of what happened on that Thursday night because Mark's not really too fussed about all of that detail, right? He really wants us to learn something here about what Jesus does as a saviour. Now, I'm not talking about just what Jesus does as a saviour for our sins, you know, making a place for us to be in heaven, but a saviour for us now, like for our shame, for our times of failure, for those times where we feel like we've messed up so bad, he saves us out of those. Often we, we beat ourselves up because we're trying to save ourselves out of those situations. You know, we're trying to make it right or make it better or make it not feel as guilty. You know what I mean? Is it just me? Or do other people sometimes self-medicate in that regard? You know, I'm not talking about drugs. I'm talking about religion or, you know, whatever. Sometimes coming to church can be, a, you know, like as if God's going to love you more if you come to church more, which is awesome for a day like this because everyone's going on holidays. <laughs> But um, here we see Jesus and he's, he's, um, he's sung a hymn with the disciples. And I really want you to, to uh, I guess if you're taking notes, if you're not, that's fine. You'll remember these numbers. All right. 136, 136, Psalm 136. That's pretty much the song that they finish with. And it, Psalm 136 is one of those Psalms where it's like a line and then it says, his faithful love endures forever. And then it's another line. And his faithful love endures forever. And it just keeps going on and on and on and on. So what's the point of that psalm, do you think? His faithful love endures forever. It's a Hebrew word, a Hebrew term, hesed. It's his long, faithful love. It just keeps going. Strong, constant, constant, merciful love. 
in spite of our inability to earn that love or deserve that love. He loves us. That's the point, right? And so Jesus has just sung that song with the disciples. And my mind thinks, I don't know, Tim, what do you think? Does, does Jesus have a soprano voice? Or was he singing alto? Was it like high, like, you know, who's some, like Ed Sheeran or something like that? Or was it like really low, like some low singer? That dude that, that sings the, um, I can't think of his name. But he's not, we thought he was, an, uh, you know, African-American guy, but he's not. But he's got this awesome deep voice. I'll always wonder about what Jesus sounded like when he sang. But he sang with the disciples, right? And he sang about his own love for them. And then, he's, and then it says, once they're finishing in this hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. They went up into the Mount of Olives. You know, it's the Mount of Olives because there's an olive grove there. And there's a garden there called Gethsemane, which is where an olive press was, a mill where they would crush the olives and they would get oil out of it. So it was this place of intense pressure, symbolic really, of what Jesus was going through this last night on earth in his life as our saviour, not just dealing with our sin, but also dealing with the disciples' shame and their failure. See, what we read here in these, in these verses is um, Jesus promises them that they're going to mess up. And what do they do in response? Thank you, Jesus. We needed to know that. No, their answer is what? I'll never do that. I'm, no, I'm going to die for you, you know? And Peter, even in um, uh, Matthew's gospel, I think it is, he gets Jesus aside. He goes, no, I will die for you. And, and Jesus then asks him the question, will you die for me? In other words, you know, like maybe Jesus wasn't thinking this, but maybe someone could die for him, you know, because he's actually, the reason why he came to earth was so that he could die for us, all of us, all of us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? All of us have sinned. That's why Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. Mark's already told us that. And so, but here we see the disciples feeling like they can solve the problem, feeling like they can actually lay down their lives for him. You know, I think it, we do ourselves a disservice when we, when we live our life trying to conquer shame and guilt and failure and maybe even unforgiveness or maybe even sin on our own terms, feeling like God isn't strong enough to deal with it. So I'll help him, you know, <laughs> like, oh, sometimes we can be like that. I know I can. Failure happens. Failure is a human thing. But Jesus says to these disciples, he, he, in the background of what's happening here with the disciples, failure to grasp what's going on, their failure to, and lately, late after that, we'll find out their failure to stand strong. They'll run and hide. Um, he's still faithful. He's still, he still knows. He still chose and he still grows. All right, so he still knows. He still knows about their sin, about their failure. Look, he says here in verse 27, you will all fall away. You will all fall away. All of you, every single one of you. No one is, no one's out of this. It's going to happen, right? Because he says, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Keep your spot here and turn with me, if you can, quickly to, to Zechariah chapter 13 and verse uh, 7. So Zechariah, I don't know if you've got a, a paper Bible like me, but Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 7. Chapter, uh, so 
this is a prophecy about the Messiah, the coming Messiah, right? Okay, in verse 7, in the NIV it says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. This is a really interesting prophecy. And this is the prophecy that Jesus is, is quoting to declare what's actually happening that night for his disciples. So he's declaring what they're going to do, and he's declaring what he's about to do and who he is to them. So in Zechariah 13 and 12, the, the prophet is talking about false prophets and how they have, they're going to come to ruin in their idol houses because they worship idols, right? But then it talks about this true prophet, this true shepherd, who happens to be the Lord's shepherd. See that in verse uh, 7 of, of Zechariah 13. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. That's God speaking, right? So it's Yahweh, the creator, speaking about his own shepherd, right? Against the man, he says, who is close to me. It's interesting, the Hebrew there, the original text says, the man of my union. The man united with me. In fact, the word man there is more than just a man like you or me or any other man-looking man. It talks about a mighty man, someone who's greater than a man, but still a man. Is anyone getting any ideas of who that might be? A shepherd who's a man in, in union with God, united with God, associated with God, a mighty man, God's equal. It's talking about Jesus. It's talking about the Messiah. And God is promising to strike the shepherd and the sheep will flee. We're all like sheep. Isaiah tells us, all like sheep have gone astray. Thank you, kids. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Sing. Isaiah 3.6. That's right. Sheep. Sheep are not the most intelligent of animals, but they follow a shepherd. And until we get ourselves into that position, like the disciples weren't in that night, they felt like they could be the shepherd of the shepherd. Jesus, you can't tell us what to, we'll, we'll, we'll help you. You know, but Jesus is like, nah, this is what's going to happen. I've got to be the shepherd. You've got to be the sheep and let me lead you. I need to do this because you can't do it yourself. I've got to go through something that you can't go through. That's what Jesus is doing that night. And when God says, I will strike my shepherd, he's talking about the, the Messiah having to be struck down. Not because of his own sin, but because of our sin. Not because he deserved it, but because we deserve it. And it's funny, that little passage at the end of, of uh, Zechariah there, and he talks about how God will... Uh, uh, turn against the little ones, the lambs is the idea there. And look, if, if anyone wants to know what that might mean, we think that it might mean about the little Christs, the little, like, so the, 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 the Christ would, would be struck down, the sheep will be scattered, but the little ones would be persecuted. The, the new, the ones, the other sheep, the little lambs, the new Christians will be persecuted. So probably that's what it means. The little Christ. That's where we get the word Christian from. Did you know that? Little Christ. There you go. The point is, though, that Jesus knows. Jesus knows 
about the future. He knows what's going to happen, right? The disciples think they know, but Jesus actually knows. And that's the same with our failure too. Like, I wish I could stand here tonight and say, I'm never going to fail again. I wish I could stand here tonight and say, you know, I'm just going to do, I'm, I'm going to be awesome from here on. You know, as a Christian, as a pastor, you know, as a role model, as a father, I'm never going to let down my kids, you know. I'm never going to let them down. As a husband, I'm never going to let down my wife. I'm going to, I'm going to make no, I wish I could do that, but I can't, you know. I can't do that because I'm human, but I'll try my best. But Jesus knows what's going to happen. Now, next time you fail, know that. Know that Jesus actually knows and he still wants you. He still wants you. Even when we fail, even when we mess up, even when we turn our back on him, even if we, like Peter, we'll look at him in a couple of more weeks, even if we deny that we even know him in people's presence. I don't even know Jesus. That's what, Jesus, that's what Peter says. Jesus still wants him because he knows. He knows. He knows everything. Uh, also, he chose. So he chose. He chose from this point on to go forwards into the battle against your sin and my sin willingly. He chose. He chose the nails, right? We think that the soldiers maybe chose the nails. He chose to be whipped. He chose to be crucified. He chose to, to be arrested. He chose to let people take him and nail him to a cross. Jesus went there willingly. He says, I lay my life down in the Bible. No one lays it down for I lay it down and I'll bring it back up again. I have the authority, the right to do that. Jesus chose. He chose the cross for your shame and for my shame. He chose that already. So next time we go through failure, next time we go through disappointment or we feel like we're disgraced, he has enough grace because he chose to show us that grace on the cross. He chose. He's strong enough. He's strong enough. You know, after this little scenario, we get into Gethsemane and he gets arrested. And just, I want you to notice the steps that Jesus takes. He goes towards those that are coming to him. Like he goes towards it. He says, to, and he, even in prayer, he moves forward. He says, Lord, not my will be done, but yours be done. You know, take this cup, but I'm willing to go forwards. I'm willing to take this on. I choose, I choose for the sake of Peter, for the sake of Thomas, for the sake of Ian, for the sake of Theo, Sonia, Kirsten, whatever your name is. He chose for you, to take that for you. What was the last one? He grows. He grows. <laughs> he doesn't grow. <laughs> he grows like a farmer grows. He takes what you thought was a failure and he flips it around and he turns it into something fabulous. So we're going to look at Matthew, I mean, not Matthew, Peter, in a couple more weeks. I don't want to you know, ruin the punchline for those that don't know, but Peter messes up big time, right? But he is the one that Jesus chooses to take the gospel on the day of Pentecost to thousands of people and see revival break out in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit come down, used in mighty ways. Why? I think because Peter was willing to go, you know what? I can't save myself. And now I understand what that means. So I can declare that to people. You know, I understand what it means to be saved when I don't deserve it. You know, I understand what it means to be owned by Jesus when I disowned Jesus. 
you know, because of his grace, because Jesus grows us through those failures. He grows us. He uses failure. You know, the best roses, you know what they grow in, right? They grow... <laughs> I can't say it. I'm recording the message. But it's true. The best roses grow in that. And so do a lot, of, a lot of other plants. They need that because in that are things that you don't get in other kinds of material. And it's in those times, in those failures, in those, we don't want them, but he uses them to grow us, to grow us, to be more than we could be without his help. Was it Paul? I'll finish on this probably. It was Paul that said, um, when I am weak, then he is strong. Which just, just doesn't make sense to our thinking. But, you know, when we come to church and when we spend time in prayer and when we open his word, then we can recalibrate our thinking to think, okay, well, yeah, when I am weak, he is strong. Okay, when I am weak, he is strong. And so just surrender to him in his, in his strength, in the fact that he knows, in the fact that he chose you and me, and he chose the nails and he chose the cross, and that he grows us, he grows us. I don't know how he does it, but he just he uses people like you and I, and we grow we grow through those situations. Um, there's this great old song. I don't know what the song is called, but it um, goes along the goes along the lines of these words. There's nothing that I can do to make him love me more, and there's nothing that I've done to make him close the door. Everything was done. Because uh, of his great love, everything was done so you could come, come to the Father. Yeah, everything was done. And sadly, the disciples find themselves in that position where they go, no, Jesus, I'm not going to fail. Even if they fail, I'm, you know, Peter says, yeah, everyone else can fail, but I'm not going to fail. Look out. If you're ever thinking like that, look out. Pride comes before a fall. Let's humble ourselves before that happens. And allow him to be strong because he knows he knows everything he chose you and he will grow you through this situation can i pray and we'll wrap it up father we thank you so much for your goodness we thank you for your loving kindness that it endures forever your faithfulness through generations and generations and lord none of us in this room or hearing this message could ever could ever deserve your love could ever earn it or pay you back and lord all of us have failed in some way we've messed up sometimes we blame other people sometimes we blame ourselves sometimes we point fingers at institutions sometimes we blame god but lord we thank you that in all of it you are greater than that you are greater than our feelings you are greater than uh, yeah than all things and that you know you know all about our failures. You know all about our deepest, darkest secrets. But yet you choose us. You choose us. You want us. And you chose the nails and the cross and the grave to show that you are powerful and that you are able to help us, Lord, and to grow in us uh, what you need, what we need to grow in. Thank you, Lord, that you use the situations that come our way that um, we don't like. We don't like other people to see it. But Lord, we thank you so much that you use it to grow something beautiful in our life, that our mess can become a message, that our trials can become some kind of testimony to encourage other people, Lord, and that you're, uh, you're doing the work on the inside out. 
for us. Thank you so much, Lord, for your presence. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and guide us, Lord, this week as we go out to declare the good news of the grace of God to sinners who mess up. We praise you, Lord. Amen. Amen.